You're listening to the School of Reinvention podcast. I'm your host, Roger Osorio. I'm the author of The Journey to Reinvention, How to Build a Life Aligned with Your Values, Passion, and Purpose. I'm also the founder of The School of Reinvention, a community-based coaching platform where we help people define success on their terms and reinvent themselves to make it happen. I believe that as the years pass, our values, passions, and purpose evolve, and we must reinvent ourselves in order to stay aligned with who we really are and what matters to us. This podcast is all about exploring different journeys to reinvention so that you can learn the strategies for how to successfully launch your next reinvention. All right, welcome back to the School of Reinvention. My name is Roger Osorio. I'm your host. I'm the founder of the School of Reinvention, a reinvention coach and author of the book, The Journey to Reinvention, How to Build a Life Aligned with Your Values, Passion, and Purpose. I'm incredibly excited to be here with Jameer, who is a sophomore at North Carolina Central University. Jameer Hamilton is also a software developer and CEO of iX Studios. It's a development studio focused on creating video game experiences that prioritize player safety and combat the negative impacts of excessive gaming. I met Jameer at a startup weekend a few weeks ago on campus, where he joined us on a Saturday morning to share some of his stories of bringing his venture to life. And it was a really great experience for our attendees who were in the process of bringing their own ventures to life. So to hear his stories and his insights and what he's learned along the way, incredibly valuable for them along their journey. Well, his stories went beyond that because for me, they inspired me and what I'm trying to do through the School of Reinvention. And I felt there was a lot of alignment to bring him in and get to host a conversation with Jameer so that we could all learn from some of his story and different parts of his journey and what he's learned along the way. So Jameer, thank you so much for making some time. Like I said, uh, before we got started on the recording, you're really living life on your terms. And I think what's really impressive and amazing, just incredible is that it's at such a young age. What I find working with my clients is that often people in their like 20s and their 30s are starting to really think about building life on their terms. Perhaps they've just been following the path that was given to them or that the definition of success that they inherited. But hearing your stories, I felt like, wow, this young man is building it out, building out his definition of success, and he's implementing it. He's executing on that and making it happen. And I think that's just incredibly awesome to hear. And I'm looking forward to this conversation so that we can learn more about how you do that so that we can also learn how do we, how do we implement that in our own lives. So kick us off by telling us a little bit about your story, your journey, however far back you want to go, you know, whether it's middle school, high school, wherever you want to kick us off. Yeah. So just a little bit about me. I've always kind of had that. I don't know if it's the leadership or the entrepreneurship spirit from the time I want to say that I can remember around elementary school. So it kind of looked like, you know, I was, I was in school and I want to say like first grade or like kindergarten, I can vividly remember starting like little clubs in elementary school and and, and you know, those, those grade level schools before you get to like late middle school, you don't really have those student led organizations and clubs, but I was like, I want to do this in elementary school. So I was making like a Bakugan or like Pokemon clubs and stuff like that. And I was enjoying it because people were, it's not because people were like following my club or and doing what we, but everybody was enjoying doing the same thing that I was enjoying doing. And we were all having fun with it. And, you know, of course, it got shut down by like teachers and everything like that. But, you know, it was still something that we enjoyed doing. We ended up having some type of like trade market or something. <laughs> like but it was it was fun to set up. And from that point forward, I can just remember myself always trying to set something up 
build things for other people. I personally believe that if, you know, everybody has a common interest and a common goal, it really only takes one person to build that for people to enjoy together. And I just personally don't believe in waiting for somebody to do it. I believe that if I have the ability to go do it myself, or at least to try to do it myself, which is what I believe kind of led me here. And I know that for sure my parents were definitely heavy on instilling that into me, that spirit of, you know, going out and getting it myself versus waiting for somebody to hand it to me or waiting to be to join it. Making it might just be a little bit better insight to impact more than yourself, then you can make something good for everybody. So all of those things kind of fall in line to IX Studio. I started my development journey earlier, I want to say when I was around 16, right? And I did not know what to do. I had no money. I had no access to education on development other than my dad, who was a programmer for, I think at the time it was State Farm. He's now a Bank of America. But I didn't have anybody to kind of teach me. And at the time, which is kind of still happens now, it's a trickling effect. Everybody who was in this space is so hard to reach because of this. I don't know. It's like a, whether it's a mindset they have, like a exclusivity or whether it's a mindset of, I don't really feel like doing this right now, which I can understand, but I wasn't getting any help. So YouTube was my teacher for a while, and after a while, I just got burnt out. And so I realized that I was not going to be able to make a game. That was my first thing, realizing that I was not able to do it by myself. A couple years later, I got into game management. And so I was 16, 17, 18 years old, DM searching, like DM hopping and DM people, hey, I'm a, pro- I'm a, I'm a game project manager. This is what I do, this, that, the other, knowing that I was, I had no experience and I was not a game project manager. <laughs> but I was like, hey, you know, I, I can do this for your game if you bring me on. I'm not charging anything, but I'd love to help your game get to the next level. I didn't know you were supposed to be paid for these type of things, but eventually some of them hit. And out of that, I learned how to develop a, a game, how to manage a development team, how to manage a timeline and um, deadlines, et cetera, et cetera. But then also uh, I learned from the faults of the other game studios that I worked for before and their moral and ethic points that they didn't get right. So that's kind of where IX Studio kind of, you know, began to develop and curate out of those experiences that I had out of managing. And, you know, being in college and starting out now as a sophomore, it's kind of helped amplify and accelerate my progress um, through some of the resources they helped me provide. So very thankful for it anybody who's helped me get to the point where I am now. I love that part about this in the story where you say that you, you just declared like, this is what I do, even if I have no experience doing it and you put it out there. And I feel like that right there is a really important lesson for anybody listening along my journey. I wanted to go from working in corporate to becoming a math teacher. And one of the things that people told me was that, well, you can't do that without going back to school, getting another degree or get, and, and then you have to get a certification to teach in schools and all of that. You know, I just thought, man, that's just adding more barriers or more things in the way to get to what I wanted to do. And so I thought like, well, maybe I can just declare myself a teacher. And I did that by becoming a tutor. You know, I said, well, then I'll just tutor math. <laughs> I mean, no one can stop me from doing that, right? Just like no one can stop you from sending those messages and saying like, this is what I do. And then we just figured it out, like, right, you know, you figured it out, I figured it out. And then we get on a path where we start developing something, building experiences, skills, and all of that along the way. And I think that that's something that others can consider doing. If there's something that you really want to do, then declare it and find a way to just break into that, 
whatever that means, whether it's DMing people that you do it or putting up an ad on Craigslist or on some, you know, somewhere online saying that you offer tutoring services, it doesn't really matter, but just find that small experiment, get started, and then you'll build experiences from there. Can you tell us a little bit about how the confidence and the skills and all of that really started building? Because I think that's a really important part of, you know, your journey. The confidence part, I would say it was forcing myself to be confident. I realized that a lot of times startups or businesses or ideas, a lot of times are risks. And I realized that, you know, if I want to start my game company, I'm not losing anything by starting this. I'm not losing anything. If anything, I'm gaining some type of lesson. So I understood that I can have confidence, but in the moments where I have to be corrected and taught, that's, that's adding to my character. So each lesson that I learn is, is an addition to my character and my experience and my knowledge in the field or just in general. So having the confidence to go out and make mistakes and fail and knowing that I will fail at some point, that was my biggest thing. Um, and being confident about that, that it was not a failure, but rather a step closer to that, um, that next accomplishment. I think it was like Sylvester Stallone that said it. it was like success is like the accumulation of uh, control failures or something like that. And for me, mm -hmm. I resonate with that because the more, you, if you look at it, the more losses that you take or the more lessons that you learn, it's a step closer to being able to get it right. And being confident in that process has been the biggest thing for me. So whether that's, you know, back when I was managing and not getting a certain position or I would start creating a game and it wouldn't get to the point that I wanted it to get to and never got released, right? I still had lessons that I learned from that. I still had assets that I gained from that, people that I met in those connections, and I could kind of merge that into my next project. That confidence in being able to fail and confidence in yourself that you'll learn the lesson rather than taking it and not doing anything with it, those are my biggest things. But then also confidence of going in the room and just, you're the only person who knows your story you know, better than you might. You, nobody knows your story better than you and nobody knows your accomplishments and what you can possibly do better than yourself. You know that all this in the way of you and your goals is the opportunity, then you, you have it. You know what I mean? Now you're just waiting for the opportunity to come or you're going out and getting that opportunity and forcing it to come so that you can take advantage of it. And so I was talking to Neil McTie in Raleigh and he told me he was like, look, it when preparation and opportunity meet and having that confidence in, in your own preparation and having that confidence that when that opportunity does come, that you'll be able to take it. That's been my best help when it comes to the confidence side. Yeah, I, I love what you just said about, you know, the definition of luck, the intersection of preparation and opportunity. Absolutely. I mean, I think that a lot of times I've learned that just from my journey where I think that it's easy for others to see it as luck. Like, wow, you lucked out, man. That, that really worked out for you. And I'm like, you know, there was a part of that that might have been just a little bit of good timing. And yes, like, you know, I know that luck or good timing, actually, we'll call it good timing. I think that's really the thing plays a role in a lot of things. But I had to be just like you prepared. I had to have done the work. I had to have had the stories. If I didn't have the stories of working with a lot of students that day that I had that good timing, the opportunity, as you put it, to be in front of a superintendent to get my first teaching role, I wouldn't have had anything to say. And without anything to say, like, what do we do there? Right. And so, you know, same for you. You were doing all of the steps, but there was something you said at the very beginning of that story that I think is really powerful and incredibly actionable for anybody listening. And it's the mindset shift. You chose to look at 
failure or feedback or any of those included as an opportunity to grow. And because you've set that as like, this is how I'm going to interpret every time someone corrects me or tells me another way to do it or, you know, whatever the thing is, I'm going to see it as an opportunity to get better and to grow. That changes everything. You don't get defensive because the moment you get defensive, forget about it. You shut down and you stop listening. You stop growing. You stop learning. All of that shuts down. And at that point, the name of the game is like, you just want to win that battle. Problem is you might win that battle, but you have just lost the entire war because you are not going to get better at this thing. And you chose to look at it a completely different way. With all this intention, you decided these are good moments. This is how I'm going to get better. So if I can get knocked down a few more times, awesome. I'm going to be a little bit better each time I get up. So can someone knock me down, please? Like, <laughs> I feel like uh, probably to some extent, you kind of almost didn't mind it when someone found something. And, and I can totally appreciate that. Like when I was on my journey to learning how to teach math, I wanted to run into more cases with more students that stumped me where I didn't know what to do because then I had to troubleshoot it. And, you know, and no doubt you did the same thing. You just figured it out in the moment. You're like, all right, let's figure out what to do here. And now you're a little bit better for it. Tell us more about that. Like, you know, how you see that game of like, you know, oh, like something challenging just came up. Like, oh, what do I do now? Like, how do you, how do you navigate or think your way through those moments? I believe in taking what you need and leaving what you don't, right? If somebody is trying to put something here and instill something into you and actually taking the time to correct you on something or to try to teach you something because they see that you might not have it, instead of being like, well, I already know this, you know, if you already know it, let them let them talk because something's going to come out of that that you didn't know. Most likely like nine out of 10, something's going to come out of it that you didn't know. And if nothing does, then you still have that connection with that person and they still try to instill something into you. So instead of, like you said, getting defensive, taking what you need and leaving what you don't. Let's say somebody will criticize my game, right? Looking into that and ignoring, like hearing the, well, you're this, you're this, you're this, and then kind of leaving that, but then seeing this is why they said this. This is the part of my game that made them feel like this. This is the part of my project that makes them feel like I'm like this because of this. Seeing that and seeing where like taking those pieces out of the like the needles out of the haystack are is the is the biggest thing. But these aren't really needles. These are like long poles that you you can see them. Like anybody can go out and grab them, but some people just really choose not to because they're too worried about the hay that surrounded them. You know what I mean? And so yeah. for me it's just taking like he's like I said, taking what I need and leaving what I don't in those situations has been the best factor for me in my growth. But as far as solutions on the fly, right? I've had moments where I've had to sit up for like six hours at night up until like four o'clock in the morning with my team trying to fix issues that we did not think were gonna happen on release, right? But that's just understanding that those problems are gonna come first is the biggest thing. Nobody's project is perfect. And understanding that at all points, there's going to be something wrong. Something is going to be wrong and something is going to be happening at all points. So being ready to fix that, but then also having the humility to understand that I'm not going to be able to fix it all the time. I need somebody to help me. I have a team of great people who help me every time. Like every time something goes wrong, if I'm not able to do it, somebody on my team is able to do it. And sometimes even if I am able to do it, it's a lot better for me to ask somebody on my team to do it with me or to do it for me because that's what they're for. That's what the team is for. And so being able to to let people on your team, let people see your vision, 
and let people help you get there. That's the biggest part of that. Not taking all of the fall on yourself because I've done that in the past and I realized that when you do that, a lot of stuff takes a lot longer to get fixed and some stuff just never gets fixed at all. So I'd rather be humble enough to tell myself that I can't do everything and problems eventually solve themselves or they help me find those solutions when I do do that. I love it. There's a lot there to unpack. One, you know, what you said about feedback, take what you need and leave what you don't. I think that's so important because people give feedback. You know, they're not necessarily experts at giving feedback. In fact, I would say most people are probably not experts at giving feedback unless they are like highly trained coaches who are really good at training somebody and they know how to give feedback. They're probably not that great at it. And so most of the time I find like I so I like what your metaphor, you know, it's like you went from needle in the haystack. You're like, no, no, it's like a like a massive long pole. I always say it's like little nuggets of gold, but covered in crap. And the crap, you know, can sound really mean and nasty and all of that. It's opinion. It's a lot of opinion. And it sounds like, you know, you have made that your way of thinking. When you hear that feedback, you say, all right, let me clean off the crap and see if there's any nuggets of gold in here that I could do something with and invest in and then, you know, be able to grow or develop. The other thing I wanted to double click on here that you said was the team and the power of your team. And, you know, you, you kind of referred to this idea of, one, sharing your vision very clearly with those you work with, because when you do, then everyone's in alignment and then you can really trust in their feedback, trust in their guidance, trust in that, that they can help you get to where you want to go. Ultimately, I thought that was a really important idea right there. Can you tell us a little bit about your team? That was something you shared with us that day when I met you. You talked about a, a, your team and kind of like where around the world they are. And, you know, you had some really interesting stories to share there. Tell us a little bit about that team that you work with and, you know, any stories that stand out there. My team was actually built off of the accumulation of the projects that I worked on before my actual own. So the good relationships that I made with developers when I was managing games it kind of uh, affected me beyond the point of managing um, because I had good relationships with them to the point where my first project, it might take ten to $15,000 to make your first project, right? And that's if you want it to be somewhat quality, somewhat quality, you know what I mean? But the relationships that I made with those developers kind of enabled them to have that trust in me that they're like, well, we'll do it for free right now. And then afterwards, after the game pops off because we believe in you, you can pay us after. And if it doesn't, then we'll talk about something else or we'll just try something else. Having a team that trusts you and believe in you and trust in your leadership, that is something that is very important. But then also trusting in your team and their ability not to follow you, but to work with you and help you grow. Because those are everybody on a team is professional in what they do unless you select somebody who's not a professional in what they do, which is still fine because they know more than you, obviously, you know? So having a team that everybody does something that I don't know how to do, that's the biggest thing because, um, like I said, I can't do everything. I'm really good at managing things. I'm really good at putting things together. I'm really good at displaying my ideas out to the, out to the team, trying to get them done, you know, managing everything. I'm a good programmer, but I suck at 3D modeling, you know what I mean? I suck at visual effects. I cannot make a sound effect for anything. I don't even know how they're able to do it. It's, it's crazy. It's magic. But that's the, that's the magic about a team. You don't know how to do these things, but your team does. You know, everybody knows what they do and everybody 
knows how to do something that I don't know how to do, but then also having a team that is diverse and spread out is something that's very important to me too. So I, I'm, I'm in Durham, um, North Carolina, but none of my developers or anybody in my team is in my state. The closest person on my team lives in Washington, D.C., and I have about 70 developers that I work with as on my, in my agency. And so for me, it's having those different outlooks on their circumstances in their country, right? I have some people in um, Germany, as people in the UK and I think South Africa and then South Korea. All of those places are so different. And so what they can bring to the cultural aspect of my games is so important to me because they're they're kind of targeting though that audience for me, right? Then mm-hmm. people that are here in the United States, every state in the United States is it's like in different countries. <laughs> and so I have <laughs> I have a couple of people in New York and they're telling me like, hmm, you should put this in the game because like, you know, this is what we used to play when we were kids here, stuff like that. Um, And then having people in California and South Dakota and stuff like that, it's really good. Um, And then in the teamwork aspect, uh, everybody is so interesting to one another because of where they come from. Everybody kind of just clicks because they're like, he probably knows what he's talking about because we don't come from the same place. We don't come from the same place. And if I tell him that he doesn't know what he's talking about, if I tell her that she doesn't know what she's talking about, I could be missing out because they probably do. You know what I mean? And so having a team that's diverse, um, that respect each other, and then all of them, you know, can come back and you can have mutual respect with them. And there's some sort of chain. Obviously, there's going to be a chain of, uh, of command there, but you are all still individuals working for the same goal. That's something that's, that's really important to me. You all have to have the same goal in mind. We want this project to get out because if this project gets out, uh, one person, I'll make money or I'll be able to get more projects uh on my rap sheet or i'll have something good to play that i want to play right having those people are are very good and then having people with your best interests um that want to see you grow but also want to grow with you everybody wants to see me win and they know that i want to see them win too and it's about proving that to your team i've gotten my team like they work for me but i've gotten them so many jobs outside of me just through my connections that I'm able to have. And, you know, they'll be like, hey, do you have a, a programmer that you uh, will highly recommend? I'll plug them in with one of my own developers and my developers can respect. You know, when you have a team that's working for you, yeah, you're giving them money, but a lot of the times they're giving you more than you give them. And understanding that and trying to bridge that gap and giving them opportunities that they're giving to you is very important. Because I'm so thankful for my team, it's, it's crazy. <laughs> and their ability to just set up in, like I said, six hours to work on bug fixes at like 12 o'clock at night. And then they all have to get up. I have people that are in high school and people that are in college and then adults. Everybody has to go get up and do something just like me. That's something that builds a lot of our connections. In our- That's really inspiring what you shared about your team. You know, I think that and I've I've uh, done this many times where I think to myself, the, a team is a luxury that I can't afford at a certain stage in my journey, that it's something that comes later when I have a lot of funding or whatever, then I can build a team until then I got to do it on my own. But you shared a really valuable lesson here. It's like, you really can't go that far on your own. There's a lot that you just can't know or do. 
And it's probably not worth you learning how to know and do because there's another area that you're really good at. And if you can focus on that, obviously you're going to go uh, farther if you can find the people who compliment you really well. And so what I, what I got from your story was the possibility that you can build a team, and this is for anybody listening, way sooner than you think. It starts with building relationships, with really treating people with respect, building strong relationships, building trust. And when you do that, people naturally just want to like support you. They want to see you win. They want to see you succeed. So they want to help out. Hey, what can I do to help out? Let me be part of that. And they don't necessarily need to be there only because there's a bunch of funding and you had a proper job posting up and you had a an ex, like a specific contract amount you were ready to dish out for that. It might be like, hey, look, we'll do this work with you and we'll figure out payment after you know the game either succeeds or if it doesn't, we'll find another way. That's like super powerful right there. That's, that's not an offer that anybody puts on their website. Like, hey, I'm willing to do this. No, that's an offer that they extend to someone that they trust, someone that they believe in, that they have a relationship with. And they say, you know what? We can figure something out and we want to work with you. That's how badly we want to work with you. And I think that's important for anyone listening who's thinking, look, it's just me right now. And, and I'm, on, I'm on my own doing this. And I've got an idea for something I want to bring to life. Hey, that, that doesn't mean you can't have a team tomorrow. You know, reach out to your network, people who already trust you, who already care about you. And chances are, if you ask, you'll probably get a few people to respond and say, hey, let me know what I can do. Or, hey, I've got access to this resource. Happy to share it. And in the meantime, it might just be volunteer basis, you know, which is what you need perhaps right now. I've only recently in my journey, this is one of the things that I think has held me back quite a bit. And I've made progress, but I think I could have made a lot more if I had started working with people sooner you know, rather than only, uh, or if I had done that, yes, earlier in my journey. And I've been learning recently that just working with people like Gabby, who you met before we got on this call, before we started this podcast recording, um, you know, Gabby has superpowers and, you know, I don't have to have her superpowers. She's got to have her superpowers. I get to have mine and working together, we get to do way better things. And it's a game changer, you know, working with other people like that. And so whoever's listening, that's, you've got a project and you need help you know, reach out, start with like, like Jameer said, what helped him was to build those relationships and to make sure there was already trust and an established relationship. You already have relationships. So go start there, start with the people who already know you, who already trust you. And they're the ones who are going to be able to probably volunteer and help you out at the beginning to get something off the ground. And then, Hey, whenever the time is writing, you're able to help them out or pay back or whatever. I also love this thing you said about once you've built your team, you know, there's this responsibility as well and an opportunity or a privilege maybe because you didn't make it sound so much like a responsibility. You made it sound more like a privilege to help them, to be able to like do something for them. And I, you said something really powerful. And I, I feel like there's a, an article on leadership development that would have to be written just to expand on this. But you said that the money you give them is not enough to cover what they're giving you often in terms of value and everything that they're doing for you. They're giving you more than the money actually pays for. And so in your mind, you're thinking, how can I complement that pay? You know, what else can I do for them to help them out to really make this um, a good deal for everybody? And, and to your point, what you explained, you share, you share them. You're like, let me share opportunities with you. I, I think that was really powerful. And I think there's a lot there. Uh, I, I want to think about this more because you, you put it so clearly and so concisely um, that 
the money that we pay people does not equal the value we get back from them. And so what else can we do to help those folks out and be able to like, you know, give them more in whatever way we can today, whatever that is for you, it's leveraging your connections and your relationships and sharing opportunities for others. It could be something completely different, but I love that you share that. So thank you so much for that, uh, that story. I want to step out and zoom out a little bit. You know, we talked about IX Studios. We talked about the work you do with your team and a lot of those things. But let's talk a little bit about life on your terms, because, you know, I think that most people would agree who are listening to this, that you are not living the typical college sophomore life. I mean, you're running a company. You've got 70 people around the world that make up your team. They're scattered all around the planet. You're still going to class right now. You're, I believe, in a conference room that you had to book on campus because you probably got classes and things going on today. So, you know, you're running around and doing all these things. This is, and and uh, it's just like not, I think, the typical path. And I think that there's an opportunity for people to consider what is their path, you know, and, and you're building out yours. Can you tell us a little bit more about what life on your terms means to you and then what are some of the things you're doing to live life on your terms? The first thing for me is understanding that I can still be a college student. And in my when I have all this free time on the end, I could be doing this. You know what I mean? Having the idea that I don't, there's, it's not black and white. It's not college and, you know, being a college student and then real life, I have to be a businessman, all of that. It's not like that. It, or at least it's not like that anymore. The opportunities that are out there now with just like having a phone or a laptop, the things that you can go out and do, like I told you how I, I landed jobs by just DMing people and DMing them what I do. Opportunity is mobile now. Opportunity is not just at a desk. Opportunity is not you have to go up to a building and ask to speak to this person and get through five, six different people just to get to the door. It's not like that anymore. Everybody has DMs, everybody has a phone, everybody has messages, and everybody has the ability to go out and research. For me, it was just, I took a, a second to just think about what do I want for myself um, in the future? What do people that already have this, uh, what do they do to get to that point? And how old are they, right? And I, <laughs> to me, it's I don't want to be struggling through my 20s and through like my mid thirties, just to get 40 or 50 and then finally be able to live comfortably. I want to be able to live comfortably for a majority of my life. So taking the, you know, and, and whether that happens or not, taking the steps now that I need to push myself forward um, with the youth, which is an opportunity that I have being young. Um, I feel like a lot of people overlook that. You're young, you might not have as much knowledge as you know older people but that's their that's their advantage your advantage to them is that you have more time you have more um, youth and you have more energy to go out and do things so you know i'll never know what it feels like to be older until i'm old you know what i mean or until i'm older and so taking advantage of what i know um, and what i have over other people has been the biggest thing for me but then also like i said understanding that there's a balance, you know, I can still be a college student. I can still be, you know, 20 years old. I can still have friends. I don't have to be a hermit, you know, but I can still do the things that I want to do. And so for me, it's just figuring out your time, having that free time and that youth has been 
something that I've been trying to take advantage of because I think about it now, it's, it might sound crazy to the most simple level. If I saved every dollar that I had from the time that I was like 10 years old to now, I would have a lot more money than I had coming into college. And that's, you know, that's, anybody could say that, but it's true if you think about it. And so for me, it's like, if I use all of my youth while I have it now and get to the point of comfortability while I'm young, and now is the time to start working if I want to go above and beyond. I, I, I love that. I, you know, you, what you said about opportunity, opportunity is, is mobile. And, and I love it, literally. And you pulled up your phone and showed that there's so much that we could do now. And you said something that also really powerful. Everyone has DMs. Everyone has a phone. Everyone has messages, which means that the other side of that also have the same. So people are reachable. Like it's, it's not like you said, where you had to go through many layers and many gatekeepers who were trying to keep you away from the people you wanted to connect with. We don't have those gatekeepers in the same way anymore. And if there is, it's like one person. It's like their social media person who's probably like tracking their phone or, or just, you know, like monitoring their phone for them. But that's it. That's just like one gatekeeper. And, and that's the only person you have to go through now. So it's, it's a very different thing. You know, there's something else that I heard in your story is that, you know, I'm hearing from you that you've got this fundamental belief that you, you can have it all. It's just a matter of designing for it is what I heard. You know, it's looking at your time and how do you like use that time and really thinking intentionally about designing for the things you want. Look, I want to do this today. I don't want to wait for this. I don't want to wait for that. I'm going to do these things now. So I'm just going to figure it out. Like I'm, I'll go to class at these times. I'll do this. And I feel like a lot of times the excuse or the, or the limiting belief, I'll even say that, get in people's way from living life on their terms and doing what they want to do and what makes them happy is that I don't have enough time. And what I have found is that when you do have all the time in the world, you actually don't use it in the end, the way you think you're going to use it. The moments that I've had the most time, I have not been any more productive. I've been way less productive, actually, because I had too much time on my hands. And so actually, if you think you're busy now, this is probably the best time to do it. Because if you can carve out those two, three hours a week, you will make them count. Because almost out of necessity, I mean, it's, it's a survival thing. You're going to say, look, these are the three hours I get to dedicate to this one passion project that means a lot to me. You're going to find a way. And I think that's what's really powerful about how it's working out for you right now. You've got all these things going on. You've got, you mentioned like, yeah, I've got time and all that. It's a, it's a time in my life where I have more time. But you also have a lot going on too. So I would, I would argue that you, you don't have all the time in the world either. I feel like what you're doing is you're managing your time well, or you're doing it, I should say, with intent. You know, you're designing intentionally for how your time is spent. You're not just saying, I must do anything and everything that people throw at me. You're picking what matters to you and you're making time for those things as needed. And I also heard somewhere in that story that it's a little fluid, you know, Sometimes you might have to say no to maybe that party or that thing going on, but you know why you're saying no. You're not just saying no because it's your default answer. You're saying no because, look, there's this really important project, something that's near and dear to me that I want to work on right now. So I'm going to do that there. But it doesn't mean you're saying no to all parties forever or at, you know, until you've, quote unquote, made it or anything like that. And one thing I'll share with you, you know, you, you mentioned like, you know, getting older and all of that. So I'm I'm a. Uh, Gosh, how old am I right now? It's 23. I'm 42. I, I don't even think much about my own age, but I'm 42 years old. And, you know, the, the thing about energy, I've met people in their 50s 
even in their 60s, super energetic. And I'm like, wow, it is possible. Even though everyone talks about it not being possible, it's possible. So I love that because it's inspiring for me. And I'm I'm living a life where, you know, I'm I'm taking care of my body, eating well, doing all those things to make sure my energy is at its highest level so that I can live the life that I want to live the way I want to live it. I have a small baby at home. She's tomorrow. She'll be five months old and, you know, plenty to keep me busy there. Energy, this thing, you, you mentioned this thing about energy. Well, I'll, I'll give you a little preview. You've got plenty of more energy like that you'll still have for a long time. So I can only imagine once you've learned all the things you've learned in the next couple of decades, dude, you're going to be doing amazing things with that energy and it, and you'll still have it for a while. It may be a little bit less, just a little bit, but there's still going to be plenty to do a, a lot of what you want to do on your terms with your intent and the way it matters to you. The last thing that I got when you were talking about this was, I think it sounds like you see these things as challenges or problems that are all solvable. You know, that's what I think I heard there is that it's all solvable at the end of the day. Like, it's just a matter of trying to solve it, like actually putting in the time and the effort to solve it. And if you really want it, you can find a way. Like, if you really want it, you can find a way, whatever that might mean in, in all areas, whether it's your schedule, whether it's life on your terms, whether it's for your business or challenging your business, whatever it might be you can find a way it, it it is solvable. And so it's just a matter of deciding I'm going to solve this because this matters to me. And so I thought that was a really important thing that stood out. Let's wrap up with, you know, who and, and or what inspires you today? A lot of things that I have, I would say are inspired by my father. Reason being is because he has been very adamant on me, my brother, and my sister on literally just getting up and doing you know, not trying, but doing. Understand that trying is the leading up to doing. And so doing is what you want to be, you know, going for. And so for me, a lot of stuff that I do is, is doing. And then understanding that I'll fail and get back up. Resilience has been something that has been instilled in me. Um, but then for my mother, I would say is the ability to give myself some grace about it. Understanding that everything is not a failure. And that failures may just be, you know, good, some good things, you know what I mean? Um, those two really inspired me. Um, and I, and a, a lot of times when you, when you hear inspirations, a lot of people don't really talk about their immediate family, but my brother and my sister inspired me a lot. They do so well um, and a lot better than I did, you know what I mean, as a kid. And if I'm able to start doing these things, you know, to the levels that I was at, because in high school, I didn't have the best, I didn't have the best grades. Middle school, I didn't have the best grades. I wasn't, you know, the ideal, if that makes sense, uh, kid at the time before I kind of switched over my, my mindset a little bit. But to them, they're doing it effortlessly. And so, you know what I mean? Like I was averaging, I want to say my first two years of high school, I was averaging a, a low C to D. Um, before I, I moved to Charlotte and I was, I, I eventually got straight A's for the next two years, but then those two, they, they're like, they got it. You know what I mean? So for me, it's like, I'm like, wow, like I got to hurry up because they're, my brother's getting to college and I'm a sophomore. He's going to catch up to me and it's going to be done. You know what I mean? But it, no, I, I, at the end of the day, they inspire me because if I can do it, I'm like, wow, I can really show them that they can do it too. And they, you know, they have a lot better for start than me. Um, so that's, you know, big, big ups to them too. But then also, um, I'd say my people, I don't, inspiration is such a broad thing for me, uh, because it's, it's possible to, to gain inspiration out of everything. 
out of, out of anybody yeah. who might do something for you. Um, and for me, I'm, I, I like to consider myself a person that likes to build onto myself, kind of like a game. Like I like to take different things and build onto myself. So it's, it's really hard. I would say anybody who does for me or has shown me that things are possible. Sounds like you have a, an antenna that's tuned to pick up on inspiration wherever you might run into it on a day-to-day -day basis and all of that. But there are some core inspirations. You know, you get some core messages and some core beliefs from your parents that have helped you, guided you. And it sounds like, you know, you really attribute a lot of where you are today to those core values and messages that you got from your mom and your dad, your, your siblings, you know, they inspired you to, it sounds like they inspire you to be at your best so that they see what's possible so that they know that this is possible. And I think right there that, you know, that, that is a great amount of just foundational inspiration to always have, right. Something that you'll always carry with you because your younger siblings will always be your younger siblings. <laughs> like that doesn't change. And so, and your parents and their message will always be your parents and their message. So, uh, no, I thought that was, uh, that was perfect. And, you know, and like I said, you inspire me and that's why I was inspired to reach out and ask you to have this interview because I really wanted to get some of these stories and go deeper into like some of the things that you shared that Saturday morning with us at startup weekend at North Carolina central university. Um, it, you know, just hearing someone, you know, a young man like yourself, like living life on your terms, building out what you want to do, doing it the way you want to do it. Even if others say, well, I can't do that. I'm too busy studying. There's too much schoolwork to be done. I know. I mean, I've heard that a million times. I had my own experience and, you know, we'll save this maybe just for a call when you and I are catching up, but we're in, in university. I too kind of did things my own way, even though people, advisors would tell me, dude, you're ruining like your chances of getting the best GPA. And I'm like, well, I, that's not what I signed up for. <laughs> I signed up for an experience and I'm going to be paying for a long time because I'm taking out student loans. By the way, I only just paid my last payment last fall. So we're talking like almost 20 years of paying off student loans. I was going to get this experience on my terms. So I totally hear you like, you know, just saying, look, this is how I want to do it. I think it's possible and I'll find a way. It's all solvable. Thank you so much for your time. Is there anywhere that you would share, like you want to point us to your LinkedIn, your website, your social, like where do you want to point us to right now before we wrap up here? Sure. So, I mean, our website is still in development right, right now, but if you want to follow up on some things that we're doing, um, I have a newsletter that you'll be able to find soon on our Twitter, IX Studios, and then IX at the end. So it kind of sounds like IX Studio 6. Thank you again, Jameer. Thank you for listening to this episode of the School of Reinvention podcast. Again, I'm your host, Roger Osorio. If you're ready to start your journey to reinvention and want to walk the path with others, visit www.rogerosorio.com and go to the School of Reinvention to check out for yourself how a community-based coaching platform can help you begin your next reinvention. You can also go to rogerosorio.com to purchase my new book, The Journey to Reinvention, and receive some exciting bonuses. Until next time, make your day great.